But Exodus 7, verses 1 through 13, we've been preaching, I've been preaching, uh, you've been listening, uh, uh, through the book of Exodus this year. And I think you're really going to like what we have to talk about today. It's a question that a lot of people ask. Um, I mentioned it last week. Rob at least mentioned that he is excited about uh, this message, and um, it's a challenging one for us. But Exodus 7, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in to God's Word. Starting at verse 1, Exodus 7, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. By the way, Pharaoh is a title uh, for the king of Egypt want to point that out. That's a title for the king of Egypt. Verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. I underline this next part. It's important for what's today. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And Moses was 80 years old when he did it. And his brother Aaron was 83 when they talked to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, your rod, and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent, a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh then summoned the wise men, the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same Thing by their secret arts. Each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today to hear your word and Lord, we want to know what's going on here with Pharaoh's hard heart. Father, we're going to see in the word today that it says you, you hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then we're also going to see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So Lord, we need you to teach us. We need you to make it clear to us so we can understand, so we can know. For Lord, we, we seek you, many of us, with our heart, with our, or with our own heart. But if we have a hard heart, we don't seek you. And Father, it's my prayer today that everyone here is here to worship you and to seek you with all our heart. So Father, pray that you would would bless this time and that you would block out all those distractions that will get in the way of knowing this truth. Because the truth sets us free. Free indeed. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So it's an interesting story, isn't it? This this story, have you read it before, Exodus 7? 
I wanted to kind of give you my hypothetical example of this story in today's world. Ready for this? Some of you are going to get a kick out of this. My friend Barry, as many of you know him, uh, he is passionate about many things. And uh, let's say Barry and I get a call from God to share what God has put on our heart with the President of the United States. So we make a call, and we get a meeting with the President. Even though we're just two old nobodies from St. Clair Shores. Barry's older, though. You know, he's Aaron. Love you, Barry. But we're two insignificant Christians in the eyes of the President. Why he would take a meeting with us, nobody knows, but he does. President Biden accepts our request to meet. So we make a road trip to the White House. I don't know, it's about a 10-hour drive, I think. We make two stops, get food and gas. Don't worry, Linda, we eat healthy. I know Barry's been looking good lately, so we want to keep him looking good. So we get to the White House, we meet the President, and we get right to the point, our reason for being there. We say to President Biden, we know you're a pro-choice president. However, we demand you end abortion immediately because God says it isn't right. How will President Biden respond? Any different from how Pharaoh responded? No. We're two nobodies. Why would he listen to us? He wouldn't. But to prove to President Biden that God has sent Barry and me and that he should listen, Barry has brought from his acting closet a shepherd's rod. If you've been around here long enough, you know Barry's an actor, and he likes to dress up like a shepherd sometimes. So he's got a couple of those. And he throws it down in front of President Biden, and it turns into a snake, and the Secret Service tried to shoot it, but they're missing. So what does the president do? Well, he calls up some people to figure out how this happened. He calls up David Blaine and Penn and & Teller and David Copperfield, and they all show up at the White House, and they have their own special magic rods, and they throw them down, and they turn into snakes too. And President Biden is relieved because this is just a trick that Barry and Matt have done. But then Barry's snake eats all of their snakes like a free Bernadette spaghetti dinner. Gone. And then we go home. It's funny. It's weird. But that's what happened. I mean, that's the reality of what Moses and Aaron did. They went before Pharaoh, who was the president, the king, and they're nobodies, and they make this crazy demand. But they say it's from God. The president doesn't believe. Pharaoh didn't believe. Why doesn't he believe? What's the reason why people don't believe God? And the answer is the title, Hardened Heart. There's a hardened heart. That's why they don't believe, because there's a hardened heart. They can't believe. Many of us don't grasp that, but it's a hard heart issue. Uh, last week, Exodus 6. Title was Hearing Problems. And we looked at why people have hearing problems. Why don't people hear truth? Why don't they hear it? Because it's a heart problem. 
a heart problem. Isaiah told us that our heart is dull. But I said it's more like it's calloused. It's hardened. And if you read through Exodus, then you get to this verse that we are in Exodus 7, 3, and you realize, okay, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Is that the only time it says it? I mean, who is responsible for Pharaoh's hardened heart? How many of you have ever read through the book of Exodus? Just so I kind of know. Okay, that's kind of your homework assignment. If you've never read through the book of Exodus, at least catch up to us. You can do it. Probably in one sitting, we're, we're in Exodus 7. Read through it. But if you keep reading, read chapter 8, read chapter 9, you're going to see more than once. In fact, six times Moses will say, chapters 4, 7, 9, 10, and 14, Moses will say that God is responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart. He'll say that. But then in three other verses, chapters 8 and 9, it says that Pharaoh is responsible. In fact, I want to bring this up on the screen, verse 34 of chapter 9. It was after one of the plagues that we're going to start covering next week. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, it says what? He sinned yet again, and he hardened his own heart. So which is it? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Have you ever asked that question before? I'm just curious. Have you ever wondered? You, some of you read the Bible, and you're like, hey, did they ever wonder that? Okay, my wife's saying yes. You're a good preacher needs a good wife to encourage him when he's preaching. Thank you, honey. Back in my favorite decade, the 80s. Anybody else, their favorite decade is the 80s? Yes, yes. Best movies from the 80s. I mean, come on. Back in the 80s, there were some great movies, but there was also some great seminary professors, two of which wrote extensively on this topic. John Piper, Greg Beal. And they wrote some things that uh, were important because people had more questions about this. There's, there's other questions that pop up, like, is Pharaoh just an isolated case? Or are there other people who suffer from a hardened heart? Do they deserve to have their heart hardened? Is God actually just if he's responsible for hardening a person's heart? These are questions that come up. You may have had your own questions if you start to really think about this and and talk about this. The good news is that the Bible doesn't kind of uh, just isolate it to Exodus. In fact, there's a lot of books that talk about hard hearts, hardened hearts. I looked up all the passages. One, one um, site um, said, said there was 96 different passages in the Bible that talk about hard hearts, from Romans to Hebrews to 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicles, Joshua, Ephesians, the Gospels, Isaiah, Acts. They all mention hard hearts. So from those passages, when we look at the Bible as a whole, which we always should, to interpret the Bible within the Bible, we see that it's not just Pharaoh who has a hard heart. Many people have hard hearts. And it's not because Pharaoh is so evil that he deserves this. Like, I mean, Pharaoh is like Hitler, Mussolini. He's Stalin. He's Genghis Khan. He's your boss. He's your parents. Uh, I only say that because I've had many teenagers in high school who thought their parents were dictators and tyrants. Okay, not any kids here, though. All the teens here, they love their parents. 
Right, Ashton? Yeah, good. But it's not because God is unjust. That's something that a lot of people think about, that God is unjust. In fact, here's the reality that doesn't always go over so well, so you've got to think about this. You got really, God would be perfectly just in never allowing any person to enter heaven. Now, some people are like, yep, I agree with that. Others are like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. But here's the sad truth that if you come on Wednesday nights, you would have uh, uh, hear this in Romans 3.23. All mankind falls short of the glory of God. Because nobody's perfect. Now, you can readily admit that. You look at your own life and you say, yeah, I'm not perfect. Well, if you're not perfect, then you're not going to heaven, because heaven's a perfect place. So the just of God would be that nobody gets to go there. But then let me ask this question, because I want to bring out what the reality is. What would make God unjust when it comes to saving us? What would make God unjust when it comes to saving us? Here's one way. If he declared that everyone gets to go to heaven regardless of their sin. Wouldn't that make God unjust if just everyone gets to go to heaven? But sadly, that's a, that's a truth taught in some churches. It's called universalism. Everybody gets to go. Well, that, then heaven's not heaven anymore, in my mind. In my understanding, it's not a perfect place. Or, here's the other thing that people think, is that they're a good person, so therefore they have a, a, a soft heart, and they are seeking God. And if God hardens a person who has a soft heart, who's trying to seek God and find God and get closer to him, but God hardens their heart, so, that he just reject, so they would reject him, well, then that would make God unjust. Amen, I agree with that, but that's not the reality. In fact, none of those scenarios are reality. What is reality? Only by God's grace can your heart be softened. Only by God's grace do you have ears to hear what I'm saying to you right now and eyes to see. Only by God's grace are you set free from your sin. Only by God's grace do you have any faith at all in God. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And guess what? It's not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Isn't that the most wonderful verse in the whole Bible? Yeah, that's our salvation. By grace you are saved. God is perfectly just in how he saves us. He gives you grace. He gives you a gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. God gives it to you, opens your eyes, frees you from your sin, sets you free. It's a wonderful thing. He's perfectly just. Yet, you think of this. He doesn't save everyone, though. And that's troubling for us. He doesn't have mercy on all of us. Which is why Paul wrote this in Romans 9. In Romans 9, which alludes to Exodus, he quotes Exodus, in fact, Paul writes to the church in the New Testament, he says, what shall we say then about God? Is there injustice on his part? He says, no, by no means. He says to Moses, verse 15, this is Romans chapter 9, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion 
on whom I have compassion. So then it doesn't depend on human will, but on God who has mercy. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Has that verse, that passage, ever troubled you before? Man, ever since I've been a Christian, 20 years ago, we had a Bible study, and we, you know, there's, all of us were in our 20s. And we just sat down and we looked at that verse, I don't know if you remember that, honey, with Marcy, and, and, all, and we were just like, Romans 9. Man, that's hard to understand. What the heck is God saying there? What is going on there? Well, here it is. It ties into what Pharaoh, what happened to Pharaoh. We see God chooses. He hardens whom he hardens. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. And it goes on to say, by the way, if you question it, it it's like, well, who's the, when, since when does the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? The clay doesn't say that. Why was Pharaoh's heart hardened and not softened? Well, the purpose is seen right here in verse 17. So God is glorified. God is glorified. His name is proclaimed. And by the way, uh, I'm saying this 3,400 years after it happened. Guess what? God's name is still being proclaimed in all the earth, all over the world, 3,400 years later. So it worked. What God did to Pharaoh worked. It brought him glory. It brings him glory all over the world today. God had a purpose in this. But then you have to ask this question. Does what God did to Pharaoh make Pharaoh a pawn in his chess match? Is Pharaoh a puppet and God is the puppeteer? Because that question gets asked, doesn't it? No. What do we see in Romans 9.34, excuse me, Exodus 9.34? Pharaoh took personal responsibility for his own sin. He said, I'm a sinner. I, I, I have hardened my own heart. So he doesn't claim that God violates his free will. Which brings me to the big question of the day. Can man have free will and God be sovereign at the same time? Is that a question that you might have asked before or maybe just wondered a little bit? Can man have free will and God be sovereign at the same time? What I'm really saying here is, is are you making your decisions freely independent of God or is God in some way affecting your decisions? Maybe you might say forcing your decisions. So we have this topic today this, concept, this subject of, of God's sovereignty versus man's free will. Oh, you know, just another feel-good topic here at Life of Purpose Christian Church. Yeah, we don't specialize in feel-good topics and sermon series. If you want that, there's other churches for that. We want to get into the, the, the nitty-gritty here. We want to get into the meat of the Scripture. How can these two things work together. 
Can they happen at the same time? Do you know how many books and sermons have been written on this subject, by the way? Some of you do. You're, you're, you're scholars, you read a lot, you've studied the Word. There's been a lot of sermons on this topic. A lot of books have been written. A lot of theological discussions have taken place amongst people. And I'm just going to give it to you in 30 minutes or less on one Sunday. Yeah, help me, Jesus. <laughs> First, let's start here. And I, and I really hope that some of, some of us listening, I hope I'm piquing your interest a little bit. I, I hope this is it. And it, it may not, you know, but if you really dive into the Word, if you, if you want to um, get closer to God, you start to realize, okay, how do I justify this? Like, like I know God is, is in control, but... Like, is he in, is he in tr- control of, of me? Because there's lots that, I don't know, I think, I feel like, especially with younger people, we feel like, man, we can do anything. You know, we're our own, we have our own free will, and we can do whatever we want to do, and, and God's over here, and, and we sort of see it played out, I feel like, in many people's, um, even, the, even people who are religious is like, Church is like something I do on Sunday. We compartmentalize our faith. And it's like, God's over here, and if I want God, I'll call him, you know. Uh, but if I don't want to talk to him, then I'm, he's just over there, okay. I'll pick up, but, but is that true, though? Is that really what reality is? Because to me, if God is sovereign, well, let's talk about what that means, shall we? What does it mean that God is sovereign? Sovereign. I, you know how hard it is to spell sovereign? Like, I have to think about it every time that I write it down. Sovereign. Um, what does this mean, to be sovereign? Um, I think one word that, that comes to mind is supreme. God is sovereign, that means God is supreme. God is in control of everything. He is complete in power. By the way, in Exodus, what do we see God's name is? What did... God revealed to Moses, his name was. Yahweh, I am, which means self-existing. God's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of our universe. You just took a breath. Everybody take a breath. Exhale. God just gave you that breath, did he not? Yes. You believe that, so you understand that. You, You get that. God is sovereign. All-powerful, all-knowing. One way you can do this, and it's such a crude example, but it's, it's all I got for you, is picture a circle. God drew that circle, and everything is in that circle. Nothing's getting outside of that circle, because that's God's circle. That's everything. God surrounds everything. If God doesn't want something to happen in his circle, it ain't going to happen. That's God's sovereignty. That's understanding God as supreme, in control of everything. Now, does God let things happen in that circle that you would be like, what? Is, why is he letting that happen? You know, now we're going to get into man's free will, your free will. You make hundreds of decisions every day, all by yourself, don't you? Yeah? I think you do. And no one, you don't feel like anyone is forcing you to make decisions, do you? Don't look at your spouse. 
don't do it. Don't look over at her and him or say, no, straight ahead, okay? No, nobody's forcing you to make decisions. You make all your decisions all by yourself, don't you? Yes, say yes, amen? Okay, some of you got an elbow there, I know it. All right, so if you make all your decisions, then you are saying in essence then free will is you are free of every other human being. True? I would definitely agree with that definition of free will. You are free of every human influence. You make your own decisions. But what about the supreme being? What about the supreme being? Are you free of the supreme being? How is that possible? Let me give you this illustration. Um, see, I, I think that um, some people believe free will is I'm free from even the supreme being. And I want to address that and tell you that that can't be. If God is an irresistible force and man, I'm suggesting this, is an immovable object. What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? I mean, just think about the physics of that, right? If an irresistible force meets an immovable object, can they both exist together? No, they can't. So therefore, if God is the irresistible force, then Man's free will cannot be an immovable object. It just can't be. These two things can't exist together. It's not possible. So I don't want to tell you what you should believe. I want you to decide for yourself. Is God no longer sovereign? Or is man's free will not as free as some people think it is? So you have to decide that for yourself. And when you look at God's word, you begin to see the truth here that man's free will can't be free from God's sovereignty. God's the irresistible force. And human beings will always be under the influence control of the supreme being. You might think of us as little circles inside that big circle. That's one way of thinking about it. But when you make your decisions in your little circles, you, you know, you feel. Those are your decisions, aren't they? You make your own decisions. Sometimes you make good decisions, sometimes you make bad decisions, but they're your decisions. God doesn't force you to make your decisions. We aren't robots programmed to love and obey God. Uh, we're not Stepford wives, if you know what I'm talking about there. He doesn't want that kind of love from us, a robotic love. And brings us back to Pharaoh. God didn't force Pharaoh to be an evil person. Pharaoh was an evil person. He already was. See, this is what it really means that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And this is hopefully, a satisfying answer. God motivated 
and fortified Pharaoh's wickedness. God motivated and fortified his already evil heart. And that's why Pharaoh took personal responsibility for his sin, for his decisions, because he knew his own heart. He knew it was evil. He knew it was wicked. He knew he was only serving his own benefit. And when he made the decision to reject God, he knew, he felt, it was his decision. And God simply fortified that, hardened it, strengthened it, his decision, expediated it. I mean, you come up with the words. You see what I'm saying? What God did to Pharaoh? It's not like he took Pharaoh's soft heart and made it hard. It was never soft. It was always hard. And he hardened it more. He fortified it. He finished and, and brought it to what Pharaoh, well, what we see in the scripture, what we see in the scripture. Sometimes, though, God's will over us is very passive, or we would say permissive. Like, we can do things, and, and, and even things that don't please God, and God allows it to happen. It's permissive. Sometimes God's will over us, though, is very assertive, like Pharaoh. It's a way that he brings about more quickly our own intentions, which is what he did with Pharaoh. But here's the best part of it all. Here's the important part. No decision that you make or I make or anyone else makes can mess up God's ultimate plan. No decision that we make can mess up God's plan. And I know this to be true because Joseph explains this in the book of Genesis. When the Israelites were not two and a half million people in, as slaves in Egypt before that, when they first got to Egypt, at the end of the book of Genesis, it was Joseph who kind of arrived first. You know the story, right? 400 years before Moses was ever born, Joseph became like the prime minister of Egypt. And he got that way because of his 11 brothers. <laughs> um, they weren't very nice to him. You have a brother that's not very nice to you? Sister that's not very nice to you? Well, they were kind of afraid at the end of uh, their father's life when he died, they were afraid that, that now that the dad was out of the picture that Joseph was going to exact some revenge on them. And they were feeling super guilty about what they did. Well, what did they do? I'd love it if you read the story in Genesis for yourself, but I'll give you the quick, the quick summary of what they did to Joseph. Joseph had a, an amazing technicolor dream coat, in modern ways of saying it. And they got a little jealous because of uh, his dreams and his uh, special um, colorful jacket that daddy gave him. And so what they did is they sold their brother into slavery. That's right, they sold him into slavery. And he uh, got shipped off to Egypt and uh, sent to a, a home of a guy named Potiphar. And then in Potiphar's house, um, Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph, and, and then uh, he didn't uh, um, give in to her um, advances. And so she uh, found a way to uh, put him in prison. So then he spent some years in prison. 
You thought he was going to get out of prison when the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker came for a visit. Well, I assume the prison guard was a candlestick maker, but maybe not. Um, but there was definitely a butcher and a baker, right? Uh, so they came, and, uh, uh, and he interpreted their dreams, and then he says, remember me, but they don't remember him, so he spends years more in prison, and then it finally, eventually, gets a break. He interprets the Pharaoh's dreams, not the same Pharaoh that we're talking about today, and which led to his prime minister position. But many years of suffering that he had to go through. And think about it. When you suffer as a result of something that somebody did to you, Many of us don't forget it. In fact, we grow roots of bitterness and anger, and we don't let it go. And Joseph could have gotten revenge. He certainly was in a power position to do it. And his brothers were afraid that he might do just that. So when they confronted him about it, his response is wonderful because it explains exactly what I've been explaining to you today that God's will be done. It's in Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, who did evil things to him because of their free will, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God, God meant it for good. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Your free will, brothers, did not affect God's supreme will. It can't. And that same truth is for us today. Man's free will does not affect God's supreme will. And that's the truth. And you may not love it, you may not even like it, but I hope you do. Because we all have a choice, don't we? We have a decision to make. And when you hear a message like this, I hope it's something that you kind of Dive in a little deeper, you think about, you pray about. I, I hope you talk about it with your family, with your friends, um, and, and get uh, a little deeper into it. I hope uh, we get a chance to talk about it um, some more on Wednesday night. But it brings you to a point in which you have to make the decision. Are you going to ignore God's will and just keep doing whatever you want to do? Or are you going to live for God with purpose? Are you going to renew your mind so you can know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? will? Will you freely submit your own will to God's supreme will? Will you pray like Jesus prayed? Not my will, but yours be done. We see it all throughout Scripture. God wants us to take our own will and submit it to his will. My prayer all the time is, God, where are you at work around me? Because I want to join in that work. Now, I know sometimes I get busy and caught up and, and don't pray that prayer, but I always come back to it. God, where are you at work? What are you doing? What is your will? because I want my will to do that. I want to do what you are doing. And isn't that what we see in the life of Jesus? He said, I can only do what I see my Father doing. And let that be your will. Let that be your plan for life, your purpose. Do what you see God doing 
join him in his work. Let's pray. Father, today, today I pray, Lord, that you softened hearts as, as I shared your word. I pray we had ears to hear and eyes to see, and I, I hope, Lord, I hope that I did justice to your word. I pray, Father, that as I study and prepare and, and bring your word, God, I pray you keep using me and that I would be just, just humble and, and have a, a soft heart. And God, I, I want to do what's right. I want to honor you. And I know many of us here want to do that. Father, keep using us and working through us to be a light. Keep, may we bend our will to your will. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.